0: pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we need fresh grace. I need fresh grace. I need um, fresh insight, fresh passion, Lord. And, and again, as the first service, I ask that you would, you would simply draw us close. You would bring us close to your heart, close to your voice. And uh, Lord, I ask that, that we would hear your invitation today. Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, It's going to be a little different than than maybe some of the Palm Sunday messages you've heard in the past. It's not just because I'm melancholy by nature. You'll know what I mean when I get through the message. But uh, I really enjoyed uh, going through the Palm Sunday scriptures. Uh, It's one of the few stories that that each gospel uh, semi-agrees on, and, uh, and it's a beautiful way to segue us into Easter. Um, as Jesus physically went into His Easter season, by us coming under Luke 19, which is just uh, the Palm Sunday passage that I decided to, to go off of, uh, we are going alongside with Him, and we are, we are in a way preparing ourselves for the Easter season as well. So I'm going to be in Luke, at Luke 19, and we're going to start at 28, and we are going to read to verse 40. So this is Luke's account of the triumphal entry. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he knew, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called of Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is our traditional Palm Sunday story. But for this morning it's it's incomplete now in itself the palm sunday ser- uh, story is full of biblical truth of prophecies being fulfilled of symbolism of god declaring the just enormity of this event god in jesus coming on the donkey this thing that was so greatly celebrated God is declaring great truths to us through the Word, and He was declaring great truths to the people that saw it. The palm branches um, were something that the Maccabees used when they took back their temple from the Greeks. This was a victorious symbol, a symbol of, of anointing and giving back uh, God's temple. Garments on the floor is done for kings. Uh, as Jehu in Second Kings had garments under his feet when he was anointed king, the donkey—it um, says in this passage, colt—but donkey would be the the animal that he was on—is um, speaking loud and clear about how Jesus was coming for peace. He was a man coming for peace. If if a king rode up in a giant war horse, that was that was really saying something. The fact that Jesus. Chose a donkey was really saying something. It was, um, it was satisfying Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah nine nine, where he says, "O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." And and Zechariah was letting the Israelite people know this is how you can expect the Messiah come to you on a donkey, humble, humble, and mounted on a donkey. So there was many, many pictures. There's so much going on here. Anytime Jesus does anything, there's a lot going on. And and even more so in this Palm Sunday story. Because the triumphal entry was, was infinitely more than that. And If you read a little further, it takes a bit of a twist, which is actually where I want to camp on today. Um, If you read verse 41, the scene changes. The scene changes because up to this point, the readers and the audience are in the midst of the greatest Super Bowl victory parade that has ever been seen this was this was something that Alexander would have been proud of this is something that you could have seen at a Santa Claus parade per se if anyone would go to that but um, I won't, anyway um, the grandeur the hoopla the celebration this was a citywide thing and Jesus had every reason to be wrapped up in it. Except his response gives us an insight about how Jesus saw the situation. And I think it's just so important for us this morning. He says in Luke 19.41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. How conflicting is that? Every stimulus around the Lord Jesus Christ is telling him to rejoice. This is a big deal. And his response as he sees the people is to weep over them. And that tells me that the heart of Jesus is for something more than what the people were getting. Because he could look at the scene and be so heartbroken by it. Anytime Jesus weeps for something, it should give us pause to consider what that is. And that's where I want to look at today. So. What is the fact that Jesus took that celebration story and his first response recorded was to grieve over it? What does that tell us about the heart of Jesus? You know, the celebration of the triumphal entry actually tells us a lot about ourselves. And the response of Jesus tells us a lot about him and his heart for his people. And what I want to say today is, going into Easter, it is so important that we take every opportunity to to see Jesus clearly, to see Him for who He is, and to know Him in the way He wants us to know Him. This sounds really elementary. You should see Jesus for who He is. And yet, how many times do we misunderstand something that he's doing? Because that was the people's only crime. That's why Jesus was so grieved. He said, you missed me. Why are you grieving Jesus? Because they missed me. Well, what about the celebration? But they missed me. Jesus is too important for us to miss. Easter is too important for us to miss. So four things we can learn about the heart of Jesus um, for His people through this story. Firstly was just the soft, tender, palatable heart of Jesus that His people would see Him and know Him for who He is. He is bleeding for His people to know Him. Bleeding for His people to know Him. Verse 41 and 42, it says Jesus wept about this. One commentary suggests it could be rendered that He wailed over His people missing what He was actually doing. He lamented the lost opportunity that people had as He rode through them. Because celebration didn't save Jerusalem. Jesus knew how much the enthusiasm of the crowd was worth when they cheered him on. He was aware of that. Jesus wept as Mary did for Lazarus at his tomb and as Peter did when he betrayed the Lord. Luke 13 um, kind of explains Jesus' heart even more when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. See, Jesus knew what he was walking into. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? D- do we hear the lament? in that so jesus is getting hostility from the crowd knowing what jerusalem represents and his lament was i just wanted to have you for myself and you 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 wouldn't have it you wouldn't take me you wouldn't take me but for us this morning, there is an encouragement in this that Jesus longs so deeply for us to know him, for us to see him for who he is. The encouragement is that as often as we ask, God, where are you today? Because I can't see you. My situation's too big. My illness is too strong. My discouragement is too dark. God, where are you? The fact that Jesus longs so deeply for us to experience him in a real way for who he is in all his glory should give us great confidence that he is one request away from revealing himself to us anew. We just sang, I love that song. As we whisper his name, call out his name, shout out his name, he comes. He comes. I love that. Shout out His name. He will run to you. There's great encouragement in that because we're often wondering, where are you, Lord? It's an opportunity Jesus wants to take because He's so badly. If He weeps over Jerusalem's loss of an opportunity to experience Him and who He is, We can come to Him. He wants us to experience Him. Secondly is this, Jesus patiently met the people where they were. As the crowd shouted out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's interesting that John 10 says a lot of the crowd was there because Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. They weren't necessarily there to crown Jesus Lord of everything. They were there because of some of the works that he had done. Somebody raises somebody else from the dead, there's an urgency to go and see them, I would think. Even the disciples only put this all together when Jesus had already been crucified. As it says later in John, the disciples... Um, kind of figured it all out once Jesus had already died. And they said, "Okay, this is this is what he was actually doing." And yet, in this, you know, whether the crowd saw him the right way or not, as they cry out, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord! Peace in heaven and glory in the highest!" He doesn't scold the people. He's not scolding them, saying. You actually don't know what you're saying. you You just want a king, and everybody else is yelling it, and I just raised the guy from the dead, but you you're not actually uh, receiving me as your Lord. So you know I'm going to give you a, a little uh, bibliography to read, and you can you can check your theology, and then I want you to come back and I want you to worship me in the right way. You know get your get your facts straight. He's not saying that to the people. In fact, when the Pharisees request that Jesus quiet the crowd, Jesus reminds us all of the enormity of the situation. Teacher, rebuke your disciples, it says in verse 39, 40. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Possibly quoting Habakkuk. 2, verse 11 where it says, uh, starting in verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have fortified your city. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. And what the prophet is saying is there are these things that are going on that will insist on a response. The enormity of the situation of Jesus coming, whether the people got it or not, as well as they should have, Jesus is saying, do you not know that the whole universe is expecting and celebrating this moment? And if you can't pick up the praise, they'll take it on your behalf. Don't try to stuff it down. Don't stuff the praise down because it's going to be coming out the sides. Right? Some things are too big. And so did the people get it right the whole time? No, they did not. But Jesus is saying, that's okay. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. This again is good news. Because even our best intentions, we sometimes struggle to worship Jesus as fully as we could. We bring things to church with us. We bring things into our prayer closet. We bring things to our prayer meetings. Expectations, fears, doubts, prides. And it clogs up some of the nature of our praise. And yet Jesus is is so patient with us in those moments. He was patient with the crowd that saw only a glimpse of what he was doing. And he's patient with us today as well. And that's good news. So Jesus bleeds for us to see him. He yearns for us to know us, uh, him for who he is. He is patient with us. And as Rob already touched on, he is the Prince of Peace. His mission is peace his purpose is peace his purpose in the triumphal entry was peace as he says in 42 had you not known on this day the things that make for peace in that one statement he says you and I are not seeing this situation the same way that's one of the clearest things we can point to is why is Jesus is disappointed because His mission for coming is radically different than how the people were perceiving it. Radically different. Jesus knew the things that made for peace and it didn't involve overthrowing Caesar. It was so much greater than that. Part of the reason that uh, the Jewish people were in delirious, they were in a delirious state over Jesus' coming was this idea that we are finally going to be redeemed from under the rule of the Roman people. Finally, our Savior is coming. Finally, the Messiah that's going to cut the cords of the Roman Empire over us, that's going to prevent us from having our own kingdom again, is coming, and we are going to get that victory. And yet Jesus says, you don't have any idea what it takes for peace. Because even more so than redeeming the people from a nation that uh, was controlling them, Jesus was looking to really win the victory of peace between man and God. Because at the end of the day, if Jesus would have come simply to redeem Israel from the Romans, that would have been so horribly temporary. would have lasted until the next nation came. Wouldn't have changed a single heart. Would have changed the situation. But not a single heart would have changed. Not one single heart. Jesus came for a much deeper peace than that. As it talks about in Genesis three fifteen, way back at the garden, God was already declaring His solution for peace again. And the solution was this. When he, God himself tells the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Another translation says, He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in this declaration, God is already telling the serpent Your time is limited. I'm sending one that's going to give you that final defeat. Yet it comes with a price because the heel of the descendant of the woman would also be bruised. This was the cost of peace. The cost of peace was a final victory over Satan. That final victory, but the heel of the one who would win it would also be bruised and Jesus would have to be crucified this is what peace cost this is what peace cost hebrews 2:14 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things jesus incarnated fully man and fully god that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil The thing that the people missed the most was Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to die for the sake of all mankind and in that to defeat the devil once and for all. The thing they greeted him with that was a Super Bowl parade was a funeral procession. Jesus needed to die. Again, the good news is that Jesus is the Savior that we needed and didn't even know that we wanted. He's the Savior we needed and we didn't know that we wanted. He gives us the things that we need the most. And it's always eternally for our good. There's going to be situations you ask Jesus to come and intervene. And he, he, he doesn't work the way we want in all of them. But Jesus knows what it takes for peace. Jesus knows what it takes for peace in our lives. And you guys can probably all agree, have a little season without peace and you realize how important peace is in your life. Peace is a big deal. Jesus came to bring peace And he doesn't change every situation, but we can always trust him to bring peace into our situation. Always, always, always. Because he knows what it takes to bring peace. He knows what peace costs. That's why he came. Just beating the Romans would have just come and gone. He's going for so much more. Fourthly, he counted the cost in coming for his people, he counted the cost. Because in reality, Jerusalem would have been the last place he should have gone. As he already said in Luke 13, on the third day I go to Jerusalem because I won't be able to die otherwise. We all know that if I'm a prophet, I have to go to Jerusalem to die. That's where the dying happens. So Jerusalem was the last place Jesus should have gone. What a place to decide... to have that triumphant entry. That place of celebration and hoopla. The most dangerous place he could have been probably in his whole area would have been Jerusalem. That's where all the mean people were. John 11 illuminates this even greater for us. Uh, It gives some background. Caiaphas who was the high priest at the time, uh, uttered a beautiful prophecy uh, meant in not a very nice heart. But it was a beautiful prophecy when he said in verse 50, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Of course, he said this because he didn't want Jesus rising uh, everybody up and the Romans coming and just tearing everything down. The Pharisees wanted to keep their little piece of the pie. And the more Jesus riled people up, the greater the fear was that the Romans were going to come and shut it all down and just go Roman rule all the way through. You guys can't handle this little bit of chain we're giving you, so we're going to just tighten it up. Now everybody loses power. And the Pharisees and the other authorities did not want this. And so in their wisdom, they say, well... If, if, if he dies, we can just go back to normal. One man for a nation. Brilliant. Brilliant prophecy. One man for a nation. But then it says in verse 53, So from that day on they made plans to put him to death. So by the time he is already going into Jerusalem, everyone is on high alert. This guy needs to go. This guy needs to go. It says in verse 54 that he no longer walked openly among the Jews at that point. And that the chief priests and Pharisees were already telling people, let us know where he is, we need to arrest him. So this is the scene as Jesus comes triumphantly into Jerusalem. Every authority is on high alert, this guy needs to go. And it was this place of great celebration that would be the place that those people would be used to bring about the greatest victory. They were used. They didn't do it to Him. He did it through them. Jesus used those people to win the greatest victory that mankind would ever, ever, ever know. We need to see that. Again, the good news for us is this, simply that there is no dark place, no dangerous circumstance, no dreary location, no deep pit, that Jesus has not come through already to get us. Nothing. Nothing. If we're on the other side of the deep, dark, nasty ditch full of leeches, it goes right on through. No hip waders, no rubber boots, he didn't care. He's taken way more than a booter for us. Way more. I want to heavily advertise um, the movie Heart of Man, especially before Easter. It's on Netflix so it's legit realistically the fact that it's on Netflix tells you there is still hope for the world okay if you haven't seen the heart of man yet you need to go see it like 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 right now like put on your phones right now um, it's it's really good and and I, I saw it on right now media um, and I thought yeah that makes sense and then when I was going through Netflix I thought that that does not make sense uh, with the amount of things on Netflix that that is there and and let me just really quickly give you the premise of it um, for those of you. has anybody seen it okay that 's fine so you know what i 'm not dissuaded by that at all. You guys need to get on that right away. Um, so leave church. Uh, what's open right now Seven Eleven. okay go to Seven Eleven, get some Kleenex alright and and then settle up because it is a beautiful I could I was trying to tell Helga the story about the movie and and the story kind of went like this okay so Helga there no I can't no I can't tell you that part oh, but no no I'm not ready but never mind so Maybe that's just me, all right. But the idea is, it's 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 the story of the prodigal son, retold, uh, kind of through a lens of purity. And and it's a man and his father that are on this island, and the son is is tempted to leave the island, to leave the relationship with the father, uh, where they've known total intimacy, where they've done life together for years and years. And to swim across to a to an island that's that 's kind of away in the distance, and in his deception, he is drawn deeply into that island where he 's allured with the promises for all the things that he 's looking for, and he finds none of them except entrapment and torture and pain, and he 's left deep in this dark cave uh, at the victim of this, this really horrible jailer that you never uh, want to meet that, that attacks him daily. And there, there's no way out. Until the dad comes and, and breaks him out of that cave, out of that prison. And pulls him out of this uh, horrible jail. And the idea is simply that Jesus has already come to get us. That's what he was doing. That's what people were missing. And that's one of the key things we need to know. We're going into Easter. We're looking so closely at the death and resurrection of Jesus for us. And he wants us to know how patient he is. How passionate he is that we would know him how He desires peace for us and has died for peace. He wants us to know these things. These are key things that need to shape our reality of who Jesus is. So that when He says, do you see me? Do you perceive me? We can answer Him with truth, knowing Him for who He is. And there are a few practical ways that we can do this. And just before that, you know, there are so many hindrances that can keep us from really seeing Jesus for who He is. There were many hindrances for the people in the story because they just flat out missed what He was doing. And I just want to offer you some things to pray through because this is such a big heart issue for us. We're blind first in our heart before we're blind in our eyes. Would you agree? And so there are some things that we can pray through that God would fight some of these areas in our heart. So we can pray against blind spots. Areas where we're just not able to perceive Him. Blind spots. Woundedness. One of the greatest ways to miss Jesus is to have a wounded heart. A wounded heart. Misconceptions, just not understanding who Jesus is. Disappointments, woundedness and disappointments, um, they, just, they, they shut that perception right down. Condemnation, self-condemnation. Fear. These are all ways that keep us from really seeing our Lord Jesus for who He is. And these chains are broken through prayer first, before before we walk a single thing out. So some practical steps with that in mind. Simply to ask, to seek, and to knock. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. To pursue more of the Lord actively. NLT says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knowing. That's one really simple way that we can do it is, is after we pray to say, okay God, I'm going to go after you. And I don't know how today's going to go, but I'm going to go after you again tomorrow. Because I don't want to miss a single thing. I want all that you're willing to show me. Because it really matters that we see you. So ask, seek, knock. Secondly, we need to encounter the living Savior in Jesus. We need to come and see Him. Come and see Him. It's this idea of learning about who Jesus is. And we have endless resources enabled to do that. Endless resources. And the two big ones are the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Okay, we have four Gospels that are chalked full of the truth of who Jesus is. We have many epistles after that that Paul and other writers uh, expound on and give deep theology so we can know Jesus better. Not in a factual way. He's written this, not simply that we would be able to fill in the blanks about who Jesus is when somebody asks us. But these are insights into the very identity of who Jesus Christ is so that we do not miss what He's doing and what He's saying. It's too important to miss. The Holy Spirit enables it to be a supernatural thing. To read a supernatural book, you need to read it supernaturally. That's just how it works. And that Holy Spirit flows through this book and it flows into our hearts with the very truth that we need about Jesus Christ. Doing these two things well, we can worship in spirit and in truth, which Jesus asks us and tells us to do in John 4. Doing this, we can know the Savior personally. 1 Corinthians 13:12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And Tony, we've talked about the painting like a lot, <laughs> right? I had this stuff written way before Matt Falk went off on that painting. All right, so he, he does go off on that thing. You know, Jesus came on a donkey, and he, and he, and he is coming back like, like that, right? That's gonna be face to face, not dim anymore. Beautiful thing. Thirdly, we simply need to have willingness. Willingness to do something about this truth about who Jesus is. Willingness to go and tell people. So we come and see for ourselves. We receive the truth of who Jesus is. We let the Spirit saturate it deep into our hearts. And then we don't stay there. We willingly go and tell somebody else about it because it's a truth that we can't keep inside. To feel an urgency of the reality of Christ for people around us. To go to those who don't know Him personally. To tell boldly about who He is. Isaiah 6, verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. God has God has not only said, who shall I send? He's, he's actually said, you've already been sent. Where are you going? Where are we going? Have we said, send me, Lord? Send me. Because this truth and the risk of, lose, of losing the opportunity to see Jesus really for who He is is too important to not pass on. So just a few questions for us as I close. For each one of us. Just for each one of us, I would ask that you would ask these things to yourself. With Easter a week away, have we come face to face with the reality of our sin and the distance that God came to save us through Jesus Christ? Do we know Jesus who came to set us free by dying for us? Where have we lost touch with him? Do we know how others do we know of others that badly need him to this Easter? And where are we in the crowd? thinking back to the triumphant entry, let's just put ourselves in the story. Where am I in the crowd, really? In my heart of hearts, in the parts that only God sees. If I enter myself into the narrative of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and all of the celebration, where do I fit in? Have I spent too much time as a Pharisee? Have my words been empty? Have I been on the donkey? Where do I fit into the story? The great thing about Jesus is He already knows. And He's happy to change that narrative for you. If you just confess, this is where I've been. Yeah. I've actually been telling people to stop yelling so loud. I want to get closer to your side. Jesus so gently will correct us and he'll change that narrative for us. Let's pray as we close. Lord, I just want to thank you for today. Thank you for your word that offers us truth that we can stand on for all time. Truth that tells us the real truth Things about Jesus. Truth that gives us the ability to know Him, to really know Him, because it grieves the heart of you when we miss opportunities to see You for who You really are. Lord, I thank You that there's a great invitation in His to simply see You in a new way. To see you closer than we have before. Maybe for the first time. I pray you would help us to respond accordingly, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Amen.